News. 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 New York City. FAQ. Welcome to FAQ NYC. My name is Alex Brooklyn. I'm here with Harry Siegel and Professor Christina Greer. Later in the show, we're hoping to interview Mark Molinaro, who's the Republican running for governor. Ask your grandpa. There used to be a thing called moderate or liberal Republicans who were called Rockefeller Republicans. After David Rockefeller, who was governor of New York from 1959 to 1973, then he left to become vice president. They don't really exist anymore, as gerrymandering and political polarization have basically scraped away the moderates from both parties nationwide. Democrats hold a much larger registration advantage in New York, and the declining population of upstate, even as NYC has kept growing, hasn't helped the Republican Party a single bit. George Pataki beat Carl McCall in 2002. And we haven't had a Republican win a statewide election since. Somehow, NYC, where Democrats outnumber Republicans five to one, has 20 years of Republican mayors, starting with Rudy Giuliani in 1994. Hi, Rudolph William Giuliani. And ending with Mike Bloomberg in 2013. Uh, It is, by my watch, one minute before noon, but I will still say good afternoon. Rudy was willing to restrain at least some of his hardline Republican tendencies while he was in office here. Hi, Rudolph William Giuliani. And especially in his first term when he needed New Yorkers to re-elect him. First term. A woman's right of choice has to be protected. Be protected. And it has to be protected uh, completely, including for poor women who don't have enough money to, uh, to afford abortion. Mike... Bloomberg, that is, was never much more than a Republican of convenience. Statewide, the GOP is increasingly irrelevant and about to become almost entirely so if, as expected, the party loses control of the state Senate in November, which has been the party's last remaining hold on power in Albany at all. F-A-Q. Frequently asked question one, two, four, three, four, what? Frequently asked question one, two, four, four, two. Frequently asked question. Frequently asked questions. All right, this is the F. FAQ frequently asked questions on Republicans in New York. One, are there any Republicans in New York? Millions. There's about 2.7 million Republicans in New York. Unfortunately, there's nearly twice as many Democrats, and the Republicans that are here tend to be not in New York, a few in the suburbs and just north of the city, and then as you get farther away from Gotham, you see more and more of them but not enough at this point to win statewide races or entirely to matter, especially if they lose the state Senate this year, as we're anticipating. Question two, why can't they win? There aren't enough of them. And, you know, you have all the stuff that comes with that sort of decline, because there aren't Northeastern Republicans anymore and Rockefeller Republican moderates and all that stuff. What happens is as the party declines, it becomes more and more of a shell. Its leadership is less competent. They stop running candidates in every race. They don't have any bench of real candidates, and they just become a hollow shell. And question three, so was it always this way in New York with Republicans, how they're kind of irrelevant or no? Well, keep in mind, we had 20 years of Republican mayors. Rudy Giuliani was a two-term Republican mayor and led into three terms of Bloomberg as mainly a Republican, and then he sort of, you know, dabbled in being an independent. So, yeah, they're here. And I always say, and you can ask a lot of New Yorkers, there are parts of Brooklyn and Staten Island that are very Republican that a lot of people still recognize to this day. And the Bronx. And the Boogie Down. And also the Upper East Side. And also, sneaky, the Upper West Side. 
And also, we can't forget, statewide, we had Pataki, who was a three-term governor on the Republican Party ticket. And question four, why do you think New York Democrats were comfortable a few years ago voting for a Republican like Bloomberg or Pataki? A lot of folks were comfortable voting for Bloomberg because Bloomberg essentially looked at a lot of Democrats and said, hey, you know what this is. Pataki also was part of a Republican Party that unfortunately no longer exists. You know, he seemed relatively moderate. We don't really see that type of Republican too much anymore because Donald Trump has essentially captured the party. And we have Republicans, especially in Congress and state houses across the country, essentially acting like scared sycophants. And they're just going with his rhetoric, which is not moderate at all. And it's, he's pulling them to the extremes. And so either you're with him or against him. F-A-Q. <laughs> Three big Republican events happened this week in New York City, which is a lot because there's roughly three Republicans here. So first, Steve Bannon showed up twice, first to a half-empty room in Staten Island, and then to a somewhat more crowded ballroom at the Cosmopolitan Club in Manhattan to screen this new uh, propaganda film, Trump at War. Another former White House guy who does not much like Steve Bannon, Anthony Scaramucci, the mooch threw himself a party at his steakhouse in Times Square to uh, celebrate his book that's sort of about his 11 days at the White House. And Alex Lynn was there, and we may talk about that a little later. And trivia, did you know that there's a Republican running for governor this year? It's true. His name's Mark Molinaro. 30-odd percent of New Yorkers say that they're going to uh, vote for him. And he finally got to share the stage with Andrew Cuomo. So, Chrissy... I'm thinking a lot about the state of the GOP here, and my really brief view is that it's garbage. Trump is the head of the National Party. Ed Cox, Richard Nixon's son-in-law, is the head of the New York State Party. Its candidates are all on track to lose their statewide races. They're not even running people in a bunch of the other races, and they say a lot of terrible things. I think this is actually sort of unhealthy for Democrats to not have a... Yeah, I agree. I mean, I always want competitive races, no matter what. You know, just because... If you're on the ballot, I want you to have an opponent so you can explain to me what you have done and essentially articulate your vision for the future, whether you're running for a second term or a third term or if you're term limited out. You know, we have some people who have been in office for over a decade um, who are running unopposed on the Democratic side. Essentially, they are cruising back to D.C. with no one really asking them what they have done and what they plan to do for their communities. The Republican Party has just painted themselves a really just horrible box because with Donald Trump as the head of the party and his racist, xenophobic, anti-Semitic, anti-immigrant, anti-everyone rhetoric, it seems as though far too many people in his party are following suit. The longer they go down that road, the harder it is to make the claim that they are moderate, that they don't necessarily believe in what the head of their party believes in, and that they actually want to work together with other Democrats on behalf of New Yorkers. So you know who really agrees with all of this is uh, Andrew Cuomo, who <laughs> Andrew Cuomo has tried to avoid naming his opponents, uh, Cynthia mm-hmm. Nixon in the primary, Mark Molinaro now, and to try to basically run against Trump and say, look at this guy. Right. He's terrible. Yeah. I'm the Democrat who's uh, standing up to him. And that's worked out pretty well for him. And the result is Andrew Cuomo is running for a third term. And mm-hmm. bear in mind, Third terms tend to be real rough. 
Mm-hmm. His dad had such a terrible third term that was purposeless and bad that George Pataki beat him and became governor. Right. Last Republican elected statewide in New York. Think about Bloomberg's third term. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, you get someone who's almost like a quasi-polar opposite in Bill de Blasio. Pataki spent his third term holding uh, Giuliani's coattails, mm-hmm. as the current governor famously put it. So now Andrew Cuomo's running for third term, and I don't think he said basically anything at all other than, I'm not Trump. This is why we needed a competitive Democratic primary, because Cynthia Nixon pushed him on a lot of things. You know, NYCHA is obviously the example that I go to quite a bit. When Andrew Cuomo was head of HUD, the Department, the Department of, of Housing, housing and, and Urban, urban development. development, one would think that, you know, housing would always be a priority. It wasn't until Cynthia Nixon talked about NYCHA where Andrew Cuomo was like, this is a state of emergency. It's like, really? Wake up. Like, you're in charge. So now we have Andrew Cuomo going up against Mark Molinaro, who he barely will recognize. And I mean, that's a strategy, right? It's like, why would I give you credibility? Essentially, both of them are raised in captivity. They've both been in electoral politics since they were 18 years old. So Andrew basically comes up when his dad is governor and he's running his campaigns. And Mark is mayor. Yeah, some county town leader and then turned to mayor by the time he's 19. I mean, I think he's essentially telling New Yorkers, you know, he's kind of like medicine. It's like, it doesn't taste good going down, but you feel better afterwards. Deal. Right? And it's like, (laughs) That's just what it is. And he's like, you know, you'll get the vision when I give you the vision. Right now, he's like, I'm not this dude who's in the same boat as, you know, this racist president. So that's better than nothing. And I think for a lot of people right now, when we look at the news and we see what's going on with Trump and the trans ban and the, you know, what's going on at the border and just his callousness, I think that's enough for a lot of New Yorkers to say, you know what, Andrew Cuomo isn't my best friend, nor does he, you know, want to sit here and braid my hair and hold my hands. However, he's not in the Republican Party. And for a lot of New Yorkers, I think that that's more than enough. So it came up at the debate, who really loves Trump? Uh, Trump was at your bachelor party, Andrew Cuomo, and the Mm -hmm. Cuomo people later put out a thing. No, it was just a video of Trump Mm -hmm. that he sent in for the bachelor party. And then Cuomo says, you love Trump. You voted for Trump. And Molinaro said, uh, paraphrasing, Abdabin, as my grandmother would call it. Are you saying you don't support Donald Trump? I'm saying that I'm absolutely committed to the delivery of mental health services. Do you support Donald Trump? Let's get out of this conversation. Do you support Donald Trump? I support anyone who is going to effectively make an investment. Do you support Donald Trump? Mr. Do you support Donald Trump? Mr. Molinaro, you can't answer it. I watch debates like some people watch the Super Bowl. I'm basically there for the ads. Okay. (laughs) So this debate was bookended by two Cuomo ads that were about his vision for a third. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. (laughs) Um, There was one before with Alyssa Milano narrating about how Molinaro hates women and decent people. And you should vote for Cuomo on the women's equality line. I'm Alyssa. I'm Alyssa. I'm Alyssa Milano. We're talking about the current Republican candidate for governor, Mark Molinaro. He's against equal pay for women, against a woman's right to choose. Oh, and then party. one after about how Molinaro is Trump and hates everyone else and, and is disgusting. And mm-hmm. of course, those ads are a lot of people's first introduction to Molinaro. The worst, the worst, the worst. Mark Molinaro, Mark Molinaro. He won't release his tax returns, return the dirty money and come clean. What are you really hiding? What are you really hiding? Dirty money, dirty money. But you mentioned Cuomo turning to the left in the primary. I noticed that in this debate, he made a big point of calling himself, as he's running against Molinaro, I'm the fiscal conservative, mm-hmm. the guy who's kept... 
New York's house in order. Well, because he's not running in the primary anymore. He's running in the general. And he's trying to get those New Yorkers, you know, as I've said a thousand times, all states in this country are red states. It's just, do you have enough blue cities in your red state to turn it blue or red at one point in time? And New York happens to have a lot of blue cities. And so we tend to have... Democratic governors, you know, obviously Pataki being an anomaly in recent history. And, you know, we tend to have Democratic mayors of major cities, even though we did have 20 years of Republican leadership. But Bloomberg's kind of an asterisk, right? Because let's be clear, Bloomberg just didn't feel like going through the primary in 2001. And so that's why he changed his party affiliation. He's about to run for president if he can as a Democrat, right? And he was a Republican and then he was an independent. Right. So we'll have Alex insert audio of me rolling my eyes right now. (laughs) I'm just, you know, first of all, also Bloomberg, you know, as as my father would sometimes say, shit or get off the pot. Either you're going to run or you're not, right? He's been flirting with running for the presidency for two terms now. So if you think you can do it, then do it, right? And if you don't have the courage to pull the trigger, then step aside, Clyde. We have like real issues to think about. But I think he's got more of an uphill battle than he thinks he does because the Democratic Party is, you know, there are quite a few of us who are moving to the progressive line. And we know that when Bloomberg was mayor, he really did love stop and frisk. And we know that he has some real blind spots when it comes to marginalized communities, not just people of color, but people of a certain class. He just doesn't get it. In many ways, he's raised in captivity in a gilded, you know, Upper East Side penthouse where he just does not understand some of the trials and tribulations that working class people go through. And I think he'll have a real awakening when he has to go to all these fish fries and picnics across the country. And he's like, what is this? I don't think he'll enjoy it. (laughs) He'll wear out those Italian loafers that he loves so much. So, Harry, what did you think of the debate? Look, every day that Andrew Cuomo is not found with a live boy or a dead girl is a good day for Andrew Cuomo right now and a bad day for Mark Molinaro. The debate is a big moment. You're on TV with the other guy. You're suddenly on an equal footing. And, you know, Molinaro hasn't really been able to run advertising. Cuomo bookended this debate with ads about Molinaro. So he's there. He's able to put some of this forth. Cuomo is talking over him, talking over the moderators. Molinaro wants to talk about Cuomo corruption, which is a real and serious thing. Cuomo, without mentioning her by name, says, oh, your wife's the real criminal. And that's nonsense. But by the time that nonsense is done, they're on to the next question. He survived the hour and everything is exactly where it was when this started. And Cuomo is going to be governor and Molinaro isn't. Molinaro says that he is anti-abortion, but he respects the laws of the land we have now. After initially blaming Antifa for the fight outside of the Metropolitan Club, focusing on the graffiti, he said, you know, this seems actually really bad. And I I don't think the crowd boys getting invited is a good thing. So, you know, that's like the tiniest flicks of bravery in the debate. He's in the middle of a race. He can't really afford to alienate Republicans when he hasn't managed to convert anyone else. So he's stuck saying some of that. And past that, that we don't know. And it allows Cuomo to present himself as uh, the voice of the opposition, even though, as Molinaro notes, it doesn't matter that much with a uh, governor in the ways it does with the senator. Mark Molinaro was a little bit late today for our interview because it's been a hectic day. Uh, Harry, can you... Give us some background on what his day has been like to set up for some of the questions you asked him. So while we were recording and not looking at the Internet, it turned out that it wasn't just a bomb that was sent to George Soros, but it was bombs sent to Democrats all across, including, it seemed, Governor Andrew Cuomo at a press conference with Bill de Blasio, where mid-press conference and otherwise saying broad things about the need to uh, fight terror and reflecting on the history of it since the 1993 World Trade Center bomb, he's like, by the way, My office just got one of these letters with the pipe bomb inside. Uh, Later in the day, 
it emerged that, in fact, uh, this, this had been some other piece of suspicious mail, perhaps, but was not um, addressed to him that way, which in a way makes sense because the people who are getting them are the Democrats who become national figures of hatred. So the Obamas, the Clintons, Eric Holder. And while Cuomo has presented himself very much as like the, uh, the person who's going to fight Trump here, Republicans nationwide have not used him as a convenient villain. All right. And here we are with Mark Molinaro. Underdog. The underdog. Hi, Mark. Thanks for getting on with us. Um, let's jump right in. Um, how's Cuomo doing today, uh, you know, in, in the midst of all this and with the uh, with New Yorkers worried and paying attention, as you said in your statement? Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, certainly we all have to do better to tone down the rhetoric and not uh, incite either uh, violent language, hateful language, or actual acts of violence. And we all need to uh, work together to identify and, and, and we hope uh, assist law enforcement to bring whoever uh, is perpetrating uh, these crimes, these terrorist acts, uh, to justice. Um, you know, I, I guess I want to be careful. I, I'm watching a little bit of the news, and it, and it seemed as if the governor jumped the gun a little bit on, on perhaps um, – uh, incidents or issues at his own office, uh, but I guess we're all sort of monitoring that, you know, and have been over the course of, of today. I, I, you know, I don't want to pass judgment, but it, it did seem perhaps that that either he didn't have the information correct or, or may have been a, a bit misleading. It's good that you're being careful. Uh, if only the governor had been, uh, I wouldn't be asking about this. Was... So the debate last night. Um, look, we talked about this earlier on the podcast. My view was that that it was interesting. And a bunch of New Yorkers saw you for the first time, but that, that it didn't fundamentally change the dynamics in a race that, according to the polls, you're, you're, you're well behind in now. Uh, how do you feel about uh, about the debate and how it went? Oh, listen, um, ba- based on the response we've received today and the outreach we've gotten uh, since the airing of the debate, I, I can tell you that we are feeling a great deal of energy in the campaign. Uh, we've uh, certainly uh, been able to uh, uh, to reach out uh, well uh, well beyond uh, the uh, uh, the network that we had uh, coming into the into the debate. Uh, very very positive feedback. A lot of voters reaching out. Donors uh, have been reaching out. Uh, so I um, you know I feel like it's a, it, it was another sort of shot in the arm. Uh, and, and, and I tried to, to speak on behalf of New Yorkers that quite frankly too often get get overlooked. I will tell you that, you know, experiencing the debate, um, uh, you know, I, I was I was almost embarrassed and sad by the way in which the governor acted. I mean, frankly, uh, he barely let anyone, uh, let alone me, uh, get a get a word in edgewise. Um, I didn't hear a single substantive sentence. Uh, most of it was uh, vitriol uh, and, and and heightened and angry vitriol. Uh, and and frankly, I, I just felt he came across as as angry. Um, disjointed and 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 not really, you know. Uh, I don't know. Uh, uh, it's d- divorced, if you will, from from the realities that average New Yorkers face. I mean, not not acknowledging any failure within the administration. Uh, certainly, I understand not wanting to talk about the the corruption in the administration, or the high taxes in New York, or the fact that we lead the nation in out migration. But it was just a. Um, uh, it was a it was an angry version of the governor, and frankly, uh, it was sort of. Um, you know, uh, uh, vintage Andrew Cuomo. So, you know, I'm, I'm curious. I've been thinking since the primaries about why these criticisms haven't uh, penetrated with the, with the governor. I think a lot of people have concerns about. But I want to ask you one specific thing about the debate. Because Cuomo, uh, without mentioning her by name, uh, 
attacked your wife again, and th- this has been an ongoing thing. You've asked him, you warned him not to do that. Um, he stopped referring to her that way, but but has, has sort of continued to push that line. And when you bring up uh, corruption, uh, uh, is this any better uh, that, that, that he's uh, restraining himself slightly? Is it exactly the same? Uh, what, what's your view on that? Well, I, I certainly wasn't going to... Um you know, honor him in any way or give credence to what is an outlandish attack. I mean, please understand that uh, my wife is an accomplished woman uh, who uh, interviewed and, and, and ultimately was hired for a an hourly job. Um, you know, I don't know why he doesn't think a woman can get a job without her husband helping, but I can assure you my wife wants nothing to do <laughs> with me being involved in her, her private career uh, or, <laughs> or her private, uh, uh, you know, uh, employment. Um, but, uh, I just didn't, I, I honestly didn't want to honor the attack. I think it's outlandish. Uh, and for him to suggest that, uh, you know, it's even on the same uh, plane or un- within the same universe is w- what he is allowed to happen in his own administration is, is shameful at best. Uh, but, uh, you know, if, if he wants to keep pushing at it, uh, believe me, uh, we're going to push back and remind people, uh, that he now has nine, uh, of his closest associates, economic development advisors going to jail for federal corruption charges. And he is currently being investigated by the FBI uh, for a uh, pay-to-play scheme with Crystal Run Healthcare uh, in the Hudson Valley. And I think I made that, that point pretty clear. Right, right. Viewing it, it honestly, it seemed to me that, that, that you were making those points, some of that information being new to a lot of, of listeners. And he then talked about your family. And it was, you know, if you didn't know a lot of this coming in, it was hard to track. And then that, that sort of moved the clock, you know, and he, he kept talking over people and sort of sort of moving the clock and getting through the hour. I also noted that he bookended in New York City, at least where I was watching on WCBS, he bookended the debate with uh, with two ads uh, attacking you, which struck me because, you know, there's a lot of people sort of tuning in and paying attention for the first time. And he hasn't really laid out any third term vision for himself. But uh, but he was he was trying to define you. Uh, I mean, do you have any thoughts on that, or or, or how do you fight back without uh without the, the sort of money that 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 may be related to the investigations of him he's raised? Well, I mean, first of all, I just know that, and I don't I don't like to talk too much about the inside baseball. But you know, we we do voter identification calls just about every day, and frankly, his ads have not changed our numbers in the least. Not to mention, even if you if you don't accept the internal polls, and you're not you're not challenging that, but. Uh, the public polls haven't changed much. So he spent $26 million, nearly $30 million to beat Cynthia Nixon. He's spending a few million to attempt to define me, and it's just not moving the needle for him. Uh, and what that means, though, is that there's, there still are, in fact, uh, a good number of the people who claim to support him uh, who, who say that they're, they're, they're absolutely willing to reconsider. My numbers are much stronger. Now, mind you, uh, a smaller base, but uh, we, we have stronger and deeper uh, loyalty. Uh, and there's still a good number of people who identify themselves in both public and private polls uh, as undecided. If, if I'm the governor going into re-election in 13 days, he's at he's under 50 percent. Uh, as I said, he spent $30 million uh, trying to fight back uh, against Cynthia Nixon and, and frankly, uh, still didn't uh, secure uh, 35% of his base. Uh, and uh, I offer to you, we, we are well ahead of where the Republican candidate was four years ago. Uh, and uh, without uh, trying to uh, create too many parallels, uh, we're closer to uh, to this governor than George Pataki was two weeks out uh, the year he won. 
there are a lot of reasons why the, the, the environment is different, but I'll tell you the electorate is volatile. Uh, the feedback that we got yesterday is, is very gratifying. I've been out in Long Island uh, uh, all day today, and, and the number of people coming out to, to meet, to, to, to encourage, and saw the debate and just felt uh, that he was, uh, he was unhinged uh, is pretty impressive. Uh, so, you know, there's something to be said. When, when people don't believe you, uh, they don't believe your ads. Uh, he is not a credible messenger. He's not a believable messenger. And at least the idea that he has corrupted is, is pretty well baked. So uh, my job is within 13 days, and it's, uh, you know, it's a lifetime and, and also a short period of time, is just to continue to work hard and spread the message. And uh, I think as we get closer to Election Day, you'll see uh, another couple polls will come out. We'll be closer. And, and I still believe we're going to win uh, November 6th. So speaking of George Pataki, we haven't elected a Republican to a statewide office since Pataki beat McCall, who beat Andy Cuomo in the primary in 2002. So it's been a long run that way. Um, One of the things that's different this year, of course, is Trump, who uh, Cuomo would like to uh, connect you with and run against and and pressed you on this last night. I want to know if you'd like to clarify whether or not you support Trump, and talk a bit about what the Republican Party in New York is good for. Um, I might have a couple other questions about that in a minute. Well, the the party is certainly weakened, and it's not only a product uh, of uh, the electorate. I mean, certainly uh, we live in a state that's overwhelmingly uh, a Democratic enrollment. But, you know, there are also real forces that that, uh, within within state election law and and within the state of New York that that diminish the ability of of the Republican Party really to – uh, to be as strong as it as it could be, uh, that that means uh, you know incumbents tend to consume more power and more uh, and, and more money. So you know we are at a competitive disadvantage, even if we had better numbers. Uh, that said, it's that that doesn't mean we can't win. It just means we have to effectively uh, get our message out in a, in a way that uh, that connects with voters. Um, I, I've said this all along. Um, you know, there's only one person I support without question, and that's my wife. <laughs> Uh, beyond that, you know, I support presidents. I, I support uh, this president's effort to make America more competitive. We now have the most competitive economy in the world. Uh, I supported President Obama's efforts, uh, and I supported President Bush's efforts. But what is what is clear uh, for me is that this governor wants uh, this race to be about anything other than him. And I've said this, uh, all along that when this president does something good, I'm going to say so. Uh, and the economy in America is stronger today than it has been uh, in a long time. Unemployment significantly lower than it has been in 40, 40 some odd years. Uh, minority population unemployment, the lowest in, in recorded uh, history. Um, and when the president does something that I don't think is in the interest of New Yorkers, I'm going to say that too. I call balls and strikes. And unlike this governor, who is perpetually opposed uh, to the president. My job is to simply do what's in the best interest of the people of New York. I'm running for governor. Uh, and as a governor, uh, I need to compel the federal government. I need to advocate with the federal government. I need to work with the federal government in order to achieve success for the people of the state of New York. So speaking of balls and strikes, after the uh, Proud Boys visited the Metropolitan Club, you initially put out a statement talking about the vandalism of the club, sort of related to their visit. And then as more news came in, were maybe the, the one person in New York who sort of moved where, where, where you stood and said, this sort of thing is unacceptable. And that struck me. But after that, Ed Cox, who's the head of the Republican Party here, Rudy Giuliani, who of course was, was mayor here and now advises Trump, but, but, but New Yorkers sort of continued pushing that line about, uh, 
Um, the club having been viciously vandalized by left-wing radicals and Cuomo being a political coward and saying nothing at all about the, uh, the Proud Boys, the white supremacist, sort of racist, certainly nasty guys looking for a fight who, who, who were there. Did you have any conversations with anyone else in the party after that and pass your, uh, your public statement? Well, I made clear what my position was uh, mm-hmm. to those within the party. And, and, and mind you, um, listen, the offices were vandalized and that was inappropriate and, and that kind of action uh, shouldn't, shouldn't be tolerated. Where, where I failed, and I, and I admit so, is that we were not aware uh, of uh, uh, of the event uh, that the building was hosting, we just weren't, and and, and we should have been, and and had I been, I, I would have had a, a much clearer understanding of, of what was going on, and, and frankly, I, I would have uh, absolutely objected to their invitation and their visit, uh, and I also would have objected to vandalism of the building, uh, but uh, but again, um, you know, we we cannot be uh, either a party or a society that accepts uh, the kind of hate and tolerance. Uh, that we saw, and, and that needs to be uh, made made and stated clearly, which is, again, why I said that yesterday during the debate when we were asked about civility, and why I even take issue uh, with the governor. I mean, yesterday his response on, on the question of civility was basically, we can't be civil. And then this morning, uh, when lives are threatened, uh, his message was, we should be civil. Uh, well, I think this governor has done just as much uh, to, to escalate uh, the vitriol and we all have to tamp it down. And I've said that and made that clear to, to leadership in my party. And I, I stand by my words. Uh, we, you know, we, we should not have extended the, – the invitation should not have been extended by the Manhattan Republican Committee. Uh, and we cannot tolerate that kind of anger and hate. I mean there used to be a lot of – I mean they called them Rockefeller Republicans in New York. Your run is reminding me of some of that. When I look at the party's leadership here, maybe the party isn't so important anymore. They seem to be squarely on the other side of these social issues. Um, so, so the, the Metropolitan Club and the Proud Boys seems like, like one obvious example, but really the question here may be, does the constituency for that still exist in a state where Republicans are outnumbered two to one? You know, I'm, I'm talking to you from a city where they're outnumbered five to one. Is, is that appeal still there? And if so, why, why, why is the leadership of the party in New York uh, seem so far away from it and unreceptive? Well, first, I'd offer you that party leadership is often divorced from the needs and interests of uh, actual voters. I mean, in fairness, you know, parties have and party party leaders have a different responsibility uh, than elected officials. And, I, and what I am proud of uh, is uh, in this state, Republicans who hold office are generally pragmatists. We, we generally see uh, that the problems that need to be solved, we're willing uh, to bring parties together to collaborate to to, to achieve a solution. Uh, and I think we have a record of that. If you look all across the state of New York, Republicans in, in elected office, county executives, council members, mayors, supervisors, uh, uh, state legislators are, are more focused on trying to solve problems than governing by ideology. Uh, however, parties are by their very nature, uh, you know, interested in, in, in pushing uh, a, an ideological bet. But, but I, you know, I was asked earlier today at an op-ed board, you know, what does the Republican Party look like in 2018? And I said, you're looking at it. <laughs> I mean, I am, uh, I am trying to make perfectly clear uh, that if we are to succeed in New York, uh, and if New Yorkers are going to succeed, uh, we need to be pragmatic problem solvers. And I think that that is a message and a style of government that in the the heat and the and the anger and the toxicity of our current political environment uh, is is welcomed, uh, received, and uh, embraced. So you put out some pretty detailed plans. Um, start for the MTA here in New York, for instance. Um, 
Would you say Cuomo has done any of that, that, that you forced him to lay out a vision for a third term or, or, or that he's avoided the subject? Uh, this governor not only uh, has not uh, put out a detailed plan for uh, how he would govern over these next four years, he had a hard enough time uh, developing and presenting a substantive sentence in yesterday's debate. Um, his entire campaign is based on attacking uh, national politics, and it is only to distract from the fact that, that he has he has failed the people of the state of New York and has managed the most corrupted state government in America. What do you know about the state that you didn't when you, uh, when you began this race? You've been a politician your whole, an elected official your whole adult life, but you've never run statewide before, and it's a huge state. So, so what have you learned in the course of this? Well, it is, it is a, it's a beautiful state. I mean, you have to know the diversity uh, and, and, uh, in, in this state is just, it's just wonderfully amazing. I mean, it really is. Um, and, I, and I have traveled the state for a number of years. I had thought about potentially running for statewide office. Um, but I, I wouldn't say there's one thing other than, uh, you know, the people of the state of New York have been so welcoming no matter where we go. Uh, so it's restaurant owners and, uh, uh, and senior centers and, uh, you know, uh, waitresses and, and serv- uh, servers uh, all, all across the state. You know, just hardworking people uh, coming off the, on and off the subway uh, who are interested. I mean, we have an engaged electorate and, and, and New York. I think New York's greatest uh, strength is the diversity and the talent and the and the passion of its people. And I've I've met some some amazing folks uh, all across the state of New York, and that's been uh, really uh, really the best part of this. I should have started here, but thank you so much for taking the time on what I know is a uh, exceptionally hectic and adult day. Is there just any one other thing that you just like to weave uh, our listeners with uh, podcast time permitting? Well, I, I, I offer you that uh, I, I truly care about what I'm doing. I truly care about the people of the state of New York, and I and and I really uh, I, I'm asking voters to take a chance, take a chance on somebody who actually believes in public service. Will be a breath of fresh air, and will try to govern in a way that brings people together to solve the problems that face the people of the state of New York. If you win, will you continue wearing the underdog pin? When I win, I will always wear the underdog pin. It will have been the thing that motivated me. Have no fear. Underdog is here. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. Uh, we very much appreciate it. Scaramooch, 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 E. I, Harry Siegel, was invited to Anthony Scaramucci's book party two months ago, and Alex Lynn was smart enough to take that RSVP and to show up at the Hunt and Fish Club, which the New York Post once famously described as where beauties trawl for sugar daddies. Alex, tell us about the scene there. Um, well, it's weird that it was like all of a sudden a Republican event because I can remember going to things like this with my dad and stuff. And 20 years ago, 30 years ago, these were Democrats, but these were like Wall Street Democrats. These were fat cat Democrats. These were like everything that traditional conservative Republicans would describe as like the evil city goer that was going to come with their corruption and take all your money and just steal it for themselves through your hardworking like redneck taxes or whatever. A whole generation ago, these guys were like the archetype of like Tammany Hall Democrats. And now they're Republicans. And it's just very weird. I know part of what you mean, at least, right? It's like uh, Andy Cuomo, right? Like, I'm a Queens boy. I like motorcycles. I, I hang out with dudes mostly, right? There's sort of an analog to that. Skyrim, which is a self-made guy from Long Island. 
who, you know, came up and made very good for himself. He manages hundreds of billions of dollars. He spent 10 and a half days in the White House before imploding. And he's got this place, which was described in that same Post article uh, by Barbara Kay as, as soon as you walk in, it's like, wow, you definitely feel like you're unique. It makes you feel like a lobster, just like ready to be declawed. Is that how you feel? No, I didn't feel that way at all. Like most of these guys are so primped and powdered. To quote Paul Newman when he's like trying to intimidate Jackie Gleason in The Hustler, he's like, oh, he's all powdered up like a baby or something like that. You know, he's in this suit. He's like lost his edge. But these guys have always had good suits. They shop at Sephora more than I do. You know, they order hair stuff and skin stuff and like their ties are perfectly crisp and their clothing is perfectly crisp. It's I mean, it's kind of ins- it's kind and of the insane. Botox is on the point. Botox is flowing like the, the idea that there is any separation on gender because of clothing obsession or the desire for uh, to be attractive is just non-existent. Like both genders are at this point the same from what I can see. They're all primped and they're all powdered and they all have like perfect suits and they want to look good and. I'm noticing a trend that men's hair is getting higher and higher, like almost like a side shave pompadour. They don't want to do the Richard Spencer because that's it's not the crowd for the white nationalists, right? It's this is the urban coalition here. Are these primping men checking each other out? They are, but they are forcing themselves like to not acknowledge that they are it is an an entire like strange layered dance you watch where i go up to a lot of these guys i'm like who do you think is has the best suit in the room and they're like uh why would i know that i don't look at other men's suits (laughs) and you're like you clearly do you know exactly who is wearing what and it's kind of amazing so i talked to scaramucci's mom what's your name Marie Scaramucci. Who was like... All Mother of, Scaramucci. Yeah, Mother Scaramucci, who's loved everything about it, told me that her son liked Hermes ties. There was some debate on whether Hermes ties was still applicable to Scaramucci or whether he still liked them because he's no longer like a Wall Street finance guy and now he might like a different kind of tie. I mean, the culture what runs is deep. he right now? If Wait, he's no longer a Wall Street finance guy. Is, like, isn't it Hermes ties? First off. Hermes? Yeah, Hermes. I say Hermes. I say no Hermes. It's I say spelled, Hermes. It's spelled Hermes, it's spelled, I'll tell you that much. It's spelled yeah. Hermes. <laughs> yeah. But isn't Hermes like some sort of dark underworld god? Yes. Yes. Hey, this is Eric. I work here now. And although these people know everything about politics, they know nothing about mythology. Uh, Hermes was the god of speed, and he was the messenger of the gods. Hades is the word they were looking for as the god of the underworld. I say Hermes. I say Hermes. I say Hermes. I say Hermes. But I definitely don't say Hermes. No. <laughs> I, do. I got this at Hermes. <laughs> Either way, his mother was kind of amazing. And the fact that there was so much family there really nods to the kind of life these guys live, right? It's very familial. It's very close. It's very warm. Everyone's laughing loudly. And the mom was basically like, I love my son. I hate Kelly because of what he did to him. Did I vote for Trump? Yeah. Um, but I don't like Kelly, and you could put that in the book. But you don't like what? I don't like Kelly. So is this like a performance of like heteronormative power plays? It's more than heteronormative. I mean, this is like extreme, like heteronormative on on steroids. This is like pinky literally rings. and figuratively. Yeah, this is pinky rings and this is tight collars. I love this stuff personally. I don't want to sleep with it. I more want to be it. 
Like, I like pinky rings, and I like blazers, and I like all this stuff, and I like exaggerated shoulder moves. I think right. it's a brave new era where everybody can participate in, like, hyper-masculinity. So did you have a good time at the end of the day? I ate steak, and it was perfectly rare, and they are known for their popovers. Oh, the cake! I know I'm going over, the cake, but the, the cake. cake is so intensely crazy. It was made it's so like tropey New York Italianisms, right? So you've got the cake made by the Cake Don, which is covered in fondant. It's got a, like mini little Scaramucci and a little mini Trump on a presidential desk on top of this red, white, and blue cake. And the base of it is like a big version of Scaramucci's book. And little marzipan Scaramucci has his like hand on Trump on his little resting shoulder, ever so slightly, resting ever the... so slightly. And it was kind. And there's no. It's almost like he's in on. On the joke. They're in on the tr- Italian larger than life. We are New Yorkers. We are caricatures of ourselves joke. F-A-Q. You'll notice something different this week. We have lost our uh, founding uh, partner and friend, Ozzy Pabra, who took a job at some obscure newspaper in Manhattan. We're going to have him back as a guest. We may have a medley of Ozzy sounds following. Alex? I'm Ozzy Pabra. Here is my medley of sounds. Yeah, we can we can do better than this. Like, <laughs> yeah, we can do anything. a lot better. I'm Ozzy Paper. Welcome to FAQ. Co-host and co-creator Queens Kid Ozzy Paper. Hello, hello, hello. This is the most New York you can put in your ear. Put put in your ear. Can we go ooh la la? That that's a story for another time. Paper. You can you can pronounce it however. It doesn't matter. Sorry. No, no. It does matter. It does. People should recognize it and hear it over and over again. Over and over and over and over again. I'm Ozzy Paper. I'm Ozzy Paper. I'm Ozzy Paper. Ooh la la. We have six minutes of sound effects. <laughs> if you've made it this far in the podcast, you're going to enjoy it. It's like a piece of us all is missing. Well, I just love the fact that Ozzy and Harry came to me and said, hey, Chrissy, we've got this great idea. There's like space bucks and new journalism and something, something, and let's do it. And I was like, you guys are brilliant. Let's get into it. And then I was like, okay, we'll see you. It's been great. <laughs> Bait and switch. Hashtag. The New York Times gain is FAQ's loss here. You'll be hearing from him, and you should sign up for his new newsletter at the New York Times covering all things New York and uh, hitting you daily soon. F-A-Q. FAQ is brought to you by a grant from Civil, the blockchain company trying to remake the journalism economy. Today, we're recording from Alex Brooklyn's rent-regulated apartment. Thank you so much for listening. Please don't forget to subscribe to our newsletter at FAQ.NYC and tell your friends about the podcast. Next episode. Maybe that's Halloween. (gasps) Okay, then I will start with this. The world looks mighty good to me uh, <laughs> when Tootsie Rolls are all I see. Whatever it is I think I see becomes a Tootsie Roll to me. Tootsie Roll something with a chocolatey chew. Tootsie Roll, I think I'm in love with you. Whatever it is I think I see becomes a Tootsie Roll to me. News. 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 New York City. F. Thank you.